Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, where we talk to creative people to find out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Tonight, I'm joined by the uncanny Norbert Yates. Have a good day, Norbert. I'm having a day. It's the sun's out, was out the earlier. So yeah, I figured we'll, I'd, we'll I'd count call it you as uncanny a win. because of our guest tonight, because I think that's just like something we throw around a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, there you go. That was you was you was operating on That's a higher fine, level. Man. I you know, didn't just keep up it. if you can. You know, this this is going to be going on all night. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing the best hey, I can. It's, it's you know, I'm, what um, I got. We really have a great guest tonight. Here's what his webpage says about him: Somewhere between creative and corporate is a no man's land where he guides content creators and content publishers through the wilderness of storytelling. He's worked with the biggest IP in the world, story editing and art directing, new characters, premises, and initiatives to critical and commercial success. True Fiction welcomes Chris Robinson to the show. How's it going tonight, Chris? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Really glad that you could join us tonight. Now, you've worked with some amazing properties. You've worked with so many Marvel titles, it's it's nuts. And I definitely want to get to that in a bit. But first, I want to talk about the All Negro Comics 75th Anniversary Edition. You ran a Kickstarter for this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. This is a project that goes way back for me. Let's see. I ran my my first Kickstarter in 2012 for a you know a science fiction anthology. Kind of a lot of people start with those style of projects. And then I was trying to figure out what I would do next. You know, what's similar? What? How do I take what I learned on the first thing and apply it to something new digging around on the internet i happened to stumble upon this public domain project because you're always looking for things to like hook people or, or you know things that you can sort of like plant your flag in especially for like kickstarter projects and so i was you know i started looking with public domain projects and there were these characters these this project from 1947 called all negro comics number one and i was it's obviously like a very attention-grabbing title in, in this day and age. So I did as much reading as I could about, about it at the time, which was not much because it was even more obscure than it is now. I mean, I feel like obviously it's been something that I've been like consumed with the last year or so, but I think there's even more awareness of it, hopefully because of my book and others that, that are out there. It is essentially the first comic book created by Black cartoonists featuring Black characters with the express purpose of entertaining and, and showing black people in a, in a positive light, like getting away from stereotypes, which, you know, you go back to the spirit, like in a certain era, there's only stereotypical, stereotypical depictions of a lot of folks out there, uh, all the, you know, different minority groups that are out there. So this was a project where Warren C. Evans tried to assemble a bunch of black cartoonists that he knew to create these characters and create this one shot. Or the, it was it was intended to be an ongoing series, and and for reasons that are I talked about in the book, it is not a an ongoing thing. It was just a one off thing. But I was all set to make this my new project, and then I get the call from Marvel Comics to be an editor there. They have a very strict idea ownership situation, so when you work for them, you only work for them. So I had to put this project down, and I said to myself, like, man, 
it's too bad I never got to that. I'm sure while I'm working away with the X, there will be many people who, who you know, this, this will happen because it's too good of an idea not to happen. And then six years go by very quickly, much, much, quick, much too quickly. And then I leave Marvel Comics. I start doing other things, looking out uh, what else I could do on my own again. And this is 2020. And no one has done this project. And it also happened to be that we were just coming up on 75 years. So I was like, this is crazy fortuitous. Okay. And then, so yeah, so I, I jumped back into developing this 75th anniversary project, which honestly, I'm very glad I did not get a chance to do it back in 2012, 13, 14, what we you know back in the day, because all of the knowledge and professional acumen, whatever, you know, I, I'm so much better now at editing. It's, it is a 10 times better project before it would have been, you know, it would have been nice, like obviously to have it exist, but it would not be as robust. This is like a really robust package that I can't wait to send people. The book's done. It's just at the printer. When folks hear this, it will still be at the printer, unfortunately. But in, in the coming months, it will be out to backers and it'll be available at some comic shops. So if you're just now hearing about it, you definitely missed the Kickstarter, which is fine. But keep an eye on the page because I'll update it with comic shops that will have the book available to you. Yeah, that page is at crob.info. So you go to crob.info and you can find out more about the, the the Kickstarter. One thing I really loved about, well, there's a lot I love about this. For one thing, Chris, I think this is like like such a an amazing, I don't know if everybody knew because we don't see a lot of it. We don't know that there were comic artists of color at that time. I think that's something that is truly an American piece of history that I'm really happy that you're getting out there and talking about. Like right now in in comics, there are tons of people of color and uh, of ethnicity doing comics and just some amazing work. I didn't even realize that back then that was going on. Uh, That was very cool. Yeah, it was definitely rare and not obviously uh, committed to memory or, you know, not not lauded like it is sort of now. Now we're in a, you know, very exciting time when when. This is every every company is doing their own version of a celebration of black characters and creators or Asian American, Pacific Islander, that LGBTQ. Like, and actually, that's funny because uh, in 2020, I actually did the first uh, comic at Marvel or DC for you, we we see the you know they call it the Voices line at Marvel. I don't know off the top of my head what they call it at DC. The the idea of like doing a comic that is specifically to spotlight the cultural background of creators and characters. I did the first one. It was called Marvel Voices Number 1, and it was published in February 2020, literally just before the pandemic was known to, to us here in America, I guess. Yeah, so that was that was like another crazy... If I didn't have the experience doing that project and, and some of the hmm, some of the like stumbling blocks or, or pushback, like if I didn't have those difficulties, like I probably wouldn't even have thought it wouldn't have pushed me to make the only grow comic 75 project as big and as like bold as I, as I did. So the, yeah. So again, like it's, it's crazy how it all kind of came together here in this moment for all of us, you know, I was a part of the, the Kickstarter. That's how I found out about it. And I have to say that you blessed us with a digital copy, which say, if you could get your hands on this thing, do it. Cause it is amazing. Not only is it basically revitalized comic from that era, Chris has hired, and he's written for it too, and he's hired other comic artists to basically bring those that art up into the 
2023, which that blows me away when I see that in that. And, and also the, um, can you talk a little bit about the essays in there? Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I imagined like a three prong attack basically to this thing where you had the original comic represented in much more clarity than it's available online or, or anywhere really, because it's, there's single digit physical copies. Like it's very, very, very rare. I think there, I think there's a slabbed copy, like a CGC copy that is like a four something four four point eight or something. And it's, and it goes for like 20 grand. So very rare comic. Now we're making it super available and, and, you know, easy to get and read. So that's one prong. The middle prong is the sort of academic use. So again, there's, not a lot of academic writing or like writing that sort of like holds up in, in class. Like you can't cite Wikipedia or, or you know, people's uh, blogs sort of about this project that don't have pedigree behind it to like make it to, to qualify what's being said about it. Right. And so that's what, what I tried to do here. So there was, a, there's an essay by professor Keanu Witted, who is a brilliant, brilliant professor her whole deal is comics, and under that, the black creators in, in the golden age, like, she has a book coming out specifically about that that's, like, a scholarly text. This this is more for, like, for everybody. And so she did a, a version of the history that sort of recaps everything that, you know, we know about the comic when it came out, all, all the things uh, that surrounded it. That's what she brings to the table. Then I had an essay by David Brothers, who is a very well-respected critical you know he, he did reviews i think back in the day oh yeah uh for for his for his own website called the uh, fourth letter.net he's just a very respected cultural writer of comics whose work i definitely read a ton as being someone very very dialed into comics and people talking about comics and then i'll have a third essay by sean Pryor, who is more of actually a creator he's like a he's a writer and writes a ton tons of kids books for the book market rather than the direct market of comics his essay is more about his experience as a black writer trying to enter the comics market on the direct market side and and his struggles there because the story of this book and you again you read it in kiana's essay the story of this book is five black creators coming together to try to enter this business and getting rejected and pushed out and, and not being allowed to enter so i was like my idea was well let's see what's changed in 75 years and you know you can read uh sean's essay to see how different or not different things are but to me it was important to, to sort of show the past present future sort of angle on the essays and then the third prong just is a bunch of new stories featuring the same characters from from the original comic that are created by people today i'm one of them and, and there's a bunch of others that you know i'm sure we'll get to as we, we go along when i look through the your digital copy that i'm i'm impressed with is the replication of the pages that you sure. from the original scans or however you did it you you can talk about that process and the big thing for me is like when they take old work and they try to computer color it up they remaster it and i think that a lot of those the art was designed for a certain way to be presented. And if you try to do something totally different, it doesn't quite work. And I think this really works because this feels like if you went in a time machine and went back into or whenever this come out and you yeah. was looking at this, at this book, yeah. this Thank is you, what Robert. I Yeah, that's a huge compliment like. because that was obviously a big thing we wanted to get right. We didn't want to bumble a very big, you know, that's like, Part, part, almost explicitly where we start on this is like making it available and, and 
pleasant to read in the present, but not trick people into thinking it's a new comic or anything. You know, I don't read a ton of, of Golden Age or, old, you know, older comics, uh, fortunately, unfortunately. I So I sort of, and I think ha- some of that has to do with, like, the availability and, and how they have been recolored at, at other publishers. There's definitely some horror stories, I think, in terms of people trying to use today's techniques on older comics and that that is it's anachronistic for your mind i think uh, personally and and you know based on what you're saying you know in practice right and i gotta say part of my thinking on this is again i'm I'm glad that this is happening today and not 10 years ago because i had the experience of working on a series of books for marvel called the grand design series there was x-men grand design which was three volumes there was a fantastic four grand design and there's an, a Hulk grand design as well that essentially the conceit was like, you know, Ed Piscor, uh, Tom Scioli and Jim Rugg sort of condensing all of a character's history into a couple of issues, like telling it very quickly, like entire arcs in a single panel, that type of thing. But as part of the collections for those books, Ed included just seminal issues of X-Men comics that sort of inspired him at the time for whatever reason you know he just picked picked one at random and that that, that was an inspiration and, and he recolored it and if you look if you go and look at those uh, there's a lot of similarities between what he did and what we did on all negro comics 75 and you know i keep talking around it but the i did not do the restoration myself it was remastering because restoration has a different connotation but the remastering was handled by tony washington who's this incredible multi multi-hyphenate creator who's he's good at everything honestly like if you told me he, he if, he, if he wanted to do some surgery on me i'd probably believe him you know what i mean but um he came up as a colorist at the Wildstorm, and he knows the ins and outs and he was able to we had some scans some like pretty bad scans that we you know were floating around online and so what we what he went in through conversation with him and sort of us both talking about what we, what we love about old comics and sort of using the grand design as a North star as a starting point of like, okay, we're not trying to run away from the fact that these are old or introduce new computer techniques that obviously didn't exist at the time. So what it is, is it's, we really tried to go in there and like remove explicit damage, things that weren't, weren't there to begin with. Some of the scans out, there's like ripped paper. Obviously that was not intended. So we, we take stuff like that out. He went in there and, and pumped up a lot of the lettering so it's much easier to read the blacks and, and making sure those lines that have faded are like thicker and as intended, right? And we also looked at a lot of different scans to get, again, there's not a ton of them, but there's a few different versions out there. Or some people have different photos of this page or photo of that page or whatever. If you happen to live near the Library of Congress, they have a copy. You could set that up and, and go see what there's. But, you know, just sort of getting an idea of what the intention and true version of this is supposed to be and pushing it towards that again not trying to change it but just make it more legible and sort of like you said Norbert the idea that you know we pulled this out of a time capsule rather than it was made today that's not that's not the the intent how does that process work do you have a vision for like when you're collaborating with somebody like Tony Washington do you say here's what I want these pages to look like do you say hey why don't you bring me something and we'll figure out if that's where we want to go how do you typically like to work in that kind yeah, of no, it's, situation it's, uh this is this is sort of like a, a good 
what does a comic book editor do? Because that's also like a mystery thing for a lot of people. And talk to different creators, you talk to different editors, it means a totally different thing. So it's often no one knows, right? Sometimes you're a cheerleader, sometimes you're a therapist, sometimes you're just a secretary, you know, you're keeping people's schedule, that type of thing. And a lot of the times you're doing all of those things, right? So as I would with a penciler or, or a colorist or any type of artist, I would, it all starts with like a conversation and like you give them the vision, what we're all trying to achieve together. When it's X-Men or whatever, and you're just, and you're sort of working on, you're building off of what happened last issue. There's not a lot of conversation that needs to had. But when it's a project like this and it's brand new, you know, we had a lot of phone calls to start with just talking about, <laughs> and this sounds negative, but we talked about reprint comics that we didn't like, these comics that we thought looked bad and not, and not in a way to like, I'm sure everyone is dealing with different goals and different stakes and like outside factors that we have no idea, but just us looking at different reprint comics. I, I forget the publisher, like, thankfully enough, but you know, there were some like eerie reprints that we saw that were like, oh, let's, let's not do that, that type of thing. So it starts there. And then Tony will goes in there and does his magic and, and there's a lot of like separate, like, again, he's only working off the of scan. So it's taking the page and then separating out certain elements. So like he'll turn the, he'll turn the text into a separate element, mess with that. He'll turn the lines, the line art, not the colored part of figures and stuff, but just like the outside lines of the characters or, or the background or whatever, pump that up. So it's easier to see. And then and then I think like the last thing is the damage stuff, which is easy enough to brush out, essentially like airbrush. But it's all like Photoshop. If you worked on this project, this is one of the things that I was thinking about when you work on a page or working on a piece of art or working on a story, or it's a very time consuming process. And I assume when you're working on a project like this, did you... By sitting and staring at these characters and pouring over these pages, did you feel like you got closer to the creators in any way? Did you feel like you got any insight? It's weird. Like, I did. Like, I felt, you know, the more I read about Warren C. Evans in particular, right, because he was the writer for a lot of the stories, but he's also the editor of the whole project. So it was his idea to even do it and bring everyone together. And it's like, that's sort of what I'm doing. And, you know, there's not... There are not that many black editors in comics, even to this day. So looking at somebody who's went through it and, and had their own struggles is a forefather of what I'm doing today in 2023. It's, it, was, it did really make me feel like I was fulfilling something that was preordained in a way. Yeah, this is, this is, this is maybe like a little bit too mystical or, or too spiritual, but the short answer is yes. And, and also at the same time, I am, <laughs> I do feel very wrapped up with these characters in, in a, in a, in like a larger sense too, like they're public domain. So it's not like I own them or anything. And that, and that, that's, that's definitely not part of this project at all. Like they still exist for everyone, but also, I also think about like, you know, I'll, let me tell you about some characters around, published around the same time that are super not <laughs> public domain, Superman, Captain America, Black Panther, who's published like eight years after this after it comes out, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, uh, or I'm sorry, like 12 years, it's much longer. But yeah, just the weight of, man, imagine a world where All Negro Comics Inc., which was the company they started to to sort of, you know, be the umbrella from which this project and then every other project 
that they had in their mind's eye were supposed to happen. Imagine if instead of seeing Quantumania, we're seeing Lion Mania or something like this over the weekend. So, yeah, I definitely definitely got too deep into this one, but I think it's it's for a good cause. I hope other people get as deep as I did, you know? It's really interesting that to think what I really, I get what you're saying. I was just that when you were talking about that, I was thinking A&C is like Marvel, you know, uh, A&C Inc. I don't know if they were they're all Negro, all Negro comics, but uh, was the, the company name. All, yeah. All Negro comics Inc. Is comics, the, sorry. Is like yes. The, it's okay. It's, 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 that's the umbrella. And like they said, like if, you know, you'll read it in the book on the last page or in a, a few places, a few places in the comic, they talk about, Here's what's coming next month. And they wow. talk about there's going to be another, the future, the future stories of Ace Harlem Returns next month. You know, So like this was intended to be as ubiquitous as Superman, as Captain America. And, and it, it didn't. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's and it kind of strange to me. And I, I, I read comics, but I, I'm not like a historian of comics, so I don't know a lot. I know what I've read. And I know that in the 60s and 70s, we got the Freak Brothers, Zippy the Pinhead, some of these, and I, I think Zippy was actually in Heavy Metal or, or in, uh, in National Lampoon, I can't remember, but we had these underground comics. I read Mickey Rat, I thought it was the best. And I don't remember, even in the underground comics of that time, I don't remember black characters. I don't remember any non-white characters, to tell you the truth. And it just kind of strikes me as funny now, uh, when I look at this, that when was it acceptable to have black characters in comics? Clearly there was a, a deficit and I don't know when, you know, now we have black characters in comics and, and now the black characters in comic to me are, they're fighting for something bigger than just the story. You know, they, they have to be, they don't, they can't just be the story. It's gotta be something tied in with the struggle that's fine except that makes us miss part of the experience as for like why essentially you don't see a lot of just black characters not in being involved in racial strife or things like that it's because well there's two things like it has to do with the people commissioning the the stories commissioning the comics and you'll notice and here, here we are talking in february right like you know there's sort of an uptick Right. When there's a month or some, you know, some some sort of like thing to fill. And there's always the idea that I think there's a predisposition from the folks who commission the stories to really black it up, guys. Like, you know, really, you know what I mean? Like they, there's a to them, you want something that makes the most use of the fact that you brought in a black creator or you're using a black character. Right. So that's that's part of it. And counterpoint to that, I personally I am of the mind, and actually, and there's many, there's many different angles on this, and I know, I know black creators who feel the opposite and think actually disagree with me, and that's totally fine. I think I like that there's opposing views on this. So when I did the first voices, right, I talked about that earlier. Marvel's voices number one. You'll notice that that comic is just filled with all different types of characters. I asked the team of Bitter Root, the great Image comic about a black family in 1920s, Monster Hunters, right? Very cool. I asked them, hey, what do you want to do? You could do anything, right? And that, that, that very rarely happens when you, you call up a creator of some certain cultural background. They, you rarely get the, what do you want to do? It could be anything. Anyway, those guys 
they wanted to do a patch Wolverine in the smoking jacket versus Gray Hulk in the suit. You know what I mean? If, you know, just fighting for a couple of pages. And I was all too happy to, to let that happen and let that go down. Now, if you look at the voices comics that I didn't work on, which is every other one after that, you'll notice that the folks who were invited to be part of those comics are working on black characters or whatever their whatever their background is. Now, did they want to? And then was that they they might have asked to, but I'm pretty sure that they were told or it was suggested to them that they work on someone that matches them, right? So it, it's a this is a very spiny issue with like a lot of different points of view. And like I said, there are people who disagree with me that look just like me and that's totally fine. And I think this works because there's so much, it only, it only works when every opinion is sort of on the table or get, gets, a, gets a moment. So yeah. Did I answer? I think, I think. I did. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and this is probably more political than we have ever gotten. So we'll probably just kind of let it go. My opinion is kind of funny about that too, because I never want to feel like I'm being fed something. I want to, sure. I want to get a story. I want to just, and I want to decide for myself. I don't want to be dri- uh, driven someplace uh, that, you know, regardless if I want to go there, I like the subtleties of things, you know, I always say, I don't want to learn anything. I just want to be entertained. <laughs> I think I think it goes to, this is, this is something that is like my prime example of this is C.S. Lewis and J.R.O. Topin. Both were men of deep faith. And C.S. Lewis wrote allegory, and he was trying to proselytize through his stories. Tolkien was not. He was just going to tell a story, and he was infor- informed by his experience as a as a person of faith, as a person of going through the war- wars. And I'm pr- I'm of the opinion that when you're trying to preach to somebody, whatever it is, even if I agree with you, I get turned off by you preaching to me. And if you just tell me a story and it's informed by whatever your political experience or your life experience or whatever your experience is, and that's just, you know, as it just comes organically through your storytelling, I can be down with that. Even if I don't particularly agree with it, I can go, ah, right, that's, that's good. It, it comes from someplace deep within somebody and they're not trying to convince me of their point of view they're just trying to tell me a good story and that's where i i mean that's my personal opinion opinion on that thing if you just try to tell me a story and whatever your viewpoint and your background i i can be down for that loss of subtlety that has sort of taken place over all entertainment or all, all fiction and and maybe just like everything in general right like i think the news probably is also very much less subtle right um good point it is, I think, an art that is going out of style. And but I like I like subtlety. I like I like allegory. So I'll keep keep asking for it and looking for it. But we might be in the minority going forward. Chris, we that's why we need people like you, man. That you can you can help help lead that 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 charge to subtlety. That leads us to yeah. a question: As an editor, have you had to? When you're working with writers, do you ever sit there and go, let's try to tone it down or let's focus more on 
on whatever the experience of the elements of the story and along this conversation is there been something that you can say in your mind yeah i've had to deal with some of this and writers and writers are just like everybody else they have very strong opinion and depending on how good they are they feel like they should be able to do whatever they want and how do you guide that kind of Sure. I so okay. So there's a couple Situation. of different things there. So if I'm working with somebody, I probably like and agree with you, and we're all of the same temp- temperament. Like if we got to that point, I I don't hire people that I don't don't enjoy their work. Or, or <laughs> it's actually, and this is funny. This is actually kind of like a misconception. I think there's very few things pushed on editors from on high. You know, Marvel and DC, right? Like that's not to say that there's nothing, but it's not as much as people on forums or whatever would have you believe that everything is, is sort of decreed by whoever is the, the the big bad of the week. If we've gotten as far as me calling you and saying, hey, let's work on a story or whatever, particularly for Marvel, and I assume DC works pretty much the same way, but like there are goalposts. I'm calling you to do a story with this character or to fit in this anthology that already has a theme or we're doing a tie-in to this event and this story whether it's a one shot or an eight pager or or whatever it is this is going to cover the information that this part of the larger event how did whatever character find out about the the conflict and get to the you know wherever it's happening in the main book right in terms of in the nitty-gritty of editorial you know i'll I'll give folks the 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 guidepost that we're just talking about they come back to me with here's how i would approach that or here's how to answer those questions here's how i would like put a spin on this character or, or whatever, whatever the thing, whatever I gave them to start, they'll come back to me with, here's my take. And then I will either approve it and like, yes, let's run with it. Again, since I gave them goalposts and I already liked their work. So it's, I can't think of a time where somebody came to me and I was like, this is completely wrong. You're fired. Like that just never happened. You might get, Hey, this is what I want to do. And I'll go, that's great. Have you thought of this? Or do you know about this character who's stuck in, in this dimension or or that type of thing, like I might add on or shine up whatever they they have. And then, yeah, and then they'll, they'll off of that like outline type thing, they'll come back to me with a, with like a script. I'm very, <laughs> very like cognizant of dialogue. I think a lot of writers like overwrite. I think there's like way too much. Honestly, like Patrick, like you were saying, like we're not here to learn. Like I, I would say this constantly to, to writers, we're not here to read. We're here to like look at cool pictures and read cool catchphrases. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, fastball special or whatever. You know what I mean? So keep it to a minimum unless unless your dialogue is like really, really good. And then in which case I won't notice that there's a lot. Right. But yeah, it's, it's not a lot of we very rarely have train wrecks where this is terrible or, or this is wrong. There's almost no wrong. It's like I trust the people I work with. I like their work. I want them to do their thing. So I'm like predisposed to like support whatever they're bringing to the table. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, ta- we're talking about this from a Marvel DC larger IP thing point of view, but same thing goes for other stuff I've done. I've worked with, I did like a lot of band comics for like a year where they were like based on rappers and musicians and, and things like that. And, you know, you kind of get the flavor of the band and whatever their act is and then work backwards from there as to getting a story that fits in with their whatever the take for the book is it's actually very similar like i i have not really had a an experience yet where i'm working on something completely out of the writer's head you know what i mean well actually that's not true (laughs) i've worked on so much stuff i can't even remember so i (laughs) another thing i do is i work on rodney barnes's substack comic so rodney barnes is the writer of philadelphia and 
Nita Hawes's nightmare blog and, and you know all types of stuff. And so in that situation, he's the the person that we're he's got in the situation. Like he's where all the uh, information is coming from. At that point, I am sort of just not taking as as much as a of a driver's seat in terms of like what gets done. Again, it's more support. It's like, hey, you keep repeating this word a lot, or um, spelling is not really a conversation. It's just like I just fix it and we just move on. And we don't talk about it. But yeah, that, I guess that is the one situation. Books like that where it's like the writer is also the creator and the owner of the IP and, and knows the world or or has ultimate say over what happens in it. Yeah, that's a that's a situation where I'm sort of just, hey, whatever you say, man. You know that type of thing. So yeah, it's like. Well, that's not canon. Well, how how do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you just brought this up. I want to bring it up to our listeners. I and I just myself learned about it. The Substack, sure. And and I don't think a lot of people understand what that is. Could you give a little bit of a, a kind of a down and dirty about Substack of is course. and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just newsletters, newsletters that you can pay for. If you guys are familiar with Patreon or trying to think of other you know it's just it's yeah. just methods Pod, through which podcasts uh, podcast subscriptions so yeah podcast yeah it's just a way for fans to pay for more access or exclusive content that someone is generating and rodney happens to you know like i mentioned his image books philadelphia nita hawes um a few other things like he puts out these comics through this newsletter that take place in the same universe. So that's what Substack is. It's just a method through which you can subscribe to a, some, something that somebody's doing. That's all. I think it's really interesting about um, how creators are now becoming their own, their their own kind of brand. In, in in a sense, you know, they not that I'm not saying they don't need uh, Marvel and Image and and Dark Horse and these things, but and they definitely do. But I think it's amazing. I've done Patreon with musical artists okay. and you cool. get, um, you get uh, music that it's only going out to the pa- Patreons. I'm assuming that at some point it'll go out to the, the world, but it's amazing to get that stuff and to feel like you're the only one, you know, just a few that are listening. And I think, I think that kind of uh, marketing is really interesting. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's, I think it's cool. And I, I didn't realize that you would have, a uh, someone like you, an editor that would work with them. That's that's really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think there, you know, there are probably folks who who don't need an editor or, or don't need the help for the folks who do. And and Rodney's a like, uh, in addition to his comic stuff, is like an extremely in demand television producer as well. Wow. Um. So I'm there to like find new artists for you know another comic he wrote or or make sure the shows, the schedules make make sense and things like that. But yeah, you know, to the point of like. It's awesome that creators are that there are all these tools now that creators can use to be more in control of their output, have a, a separate connection to their audience from separate from the relationship created by, you know, Dark Horse, you know, in the comics world or, or image in the comics world or Warner Records or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. There's always been a, a go between right between creator and audience. There's some sort of publisher or mechanism to get the work out to as many people as possible and now there's tools like substack patreon zest world i think is, is another one that works in a similar way that if you have the audience you as a creator you should 100 percent start doing this stuff now if you even if you don't have the audience you should probably still 
attempt or, or you know you should probably start looking towards doing this type of stuff not to paywall your work because and i know like i do things separate from all the stuff that it's sort of like you have to grow your audience right so getting them used to like hey my, my stuff's on patreon and making your patreon free or making your Substack free i put short comics out on Substack, totally free will i ever monetize it maybe but like you have to start today basically that's you know, that's another thing like you know i know, I know a lot of creators listen and people who don't just want to consume but also want to be part of whatever the industry is or or whatever the music or comics or whatever it is right it's like i always say like you should just start it'll be small today but in a year if you're consistent it'll be bigger i promise who knows how much bigger but it'll be bigger you're gonna have less listeners or readers in 12 months than 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 you do right now you know what i mean i have a friend that um he's a creator but what he likes to do, <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but he likes to take classes. Okay. Uh, and and he does that because classes and things that he wants to learn and, and it gets him to the, that creative piece that he wants. He needs that thing to drive him to create this thing that he's doing. And I'm thinking if you're doing Substack or anything like that and you set yourself up a schedule mm-hmm. that your fans are depending on, it may really drive you to create that are saying, gosh, I want this content. I think that helps for you to to put it out. Absolutely. Yeah. I th- you definitely want to have accountability, you know what I mean? Whether it's other creators that you're in a studio with or whatever, or just a collective with, or people who are subscribed to whatever you're putting out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back to what you said early in the podcast. And you said you was 10 times the editor that you were when you started. And I was wondering how you Mm. thought about that and how you gauged it. Everybody that wants to get better in a creative field, at least I try to ruthlessly judge things that I've done in the past, you know, and try to do it, not just for flagellation kind of thing. It's more like if I can look at what I do wrong and then kind of beat myself up on it, I'm less likely to do it in the future. You know, it gets, gets you out of bad habits. I also think of editing kind of like music producing. Pat and I knew a, a audio producer and he could hear somebody perform a song and goes, okay, you need, you need a piano here. You need, you need something else. Maybe you need a, a cello or something like that. He just, he could hear it. He could just bam, bam. He knew what it needed. And I was wondering if that's kind of analogous to an editor oh you just you just have a sense of what you need and so if you could i mean this is a huge question you can take any part of it that you you want to address and kind of give a sense of how you look at your growth and how you look at what you're getting better at when i started i wasn't starting from zero i I had done an internship at marvel comics in 2009 so i sort of was able to shadow a lot of the folks that I ended up working alongside later in life, honestly, um, and see what their day-to-day was like. And so that was like a good starting point. You know, honestly, it was like the place where I started. I took that internship, obviously, because it was like super cool, but also because even as a a deep reader of comics, it was like, you know, what are the the editors? Like, what are that? You know, you know, what, why, you know, I was barely cognizant at that stage of there are people writing and drawing this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I know that sounds that sounds crazy, and, and you know I was I was young, right? So it popped out of the Marvel machine or whatever. You know what I mean? It was it was on the stands at uh, 
uh, Midtown Comics when I was a kid, right? So I was able to start there, but also like you don't know what you don't know. The idea that I stumbled through that original project, it's called Fearless Future. I still have many, many copies. So if you pay attention to Kickstarters I have coming up in the, in the future, you'll definitely be able to buy those if you want to see what it looks like when somebody doesn't know what they're doing. But uh, it's called Fearless Future. It's a science fiction anthology, and I stumbled through it. So there's definitely errors and things that I would have done a different way and things that took way too long, things that I look back and it's, oh, you know, that doesn't fit the theme like I wish it did, or like, why are the page counts so wonky? You know, why is it, why is it two volumes instead of just one volume? Because it's not that many pages. I think, I think it's like 40 and 48. Volume one is 40, and then... Volume two is 48. You know, it could have been one volume. And I, I think in my head I had, like, committed to two for no reason. So, like, I don't know. That's just, that's just, like, I look back and it's like, well, it's not really that cost-effective or smart. And how did I get better and how did I change? Honestly, it literally just comes down to reps. I always, I always say that reps is the thing that will change a creator's abilities. Like, when you work at Marvel Comics, you work on thousands of comics a year like thousands. So I I got more reps there and then also too I was like I was like a very I was like annoying like I I was like constantly trying to take on more things and saying like yes I can do that and and hey we need somebody to like you know do this uh, c- cover this one shot things like that you know what I mean I'm like I'm in. So even more than other people who had been there in 6 years or, or I have many many more titles under my belt I think than the average and the reps just taught me a lot. You know, I worked with different types of creators. I worked with creators from other countries for the first time. I worked with creators who were divas. There were creators who there were creators who were divas and earned it. There were creators who did not earn it and were still divas. And you know, I worked with creators who were extremely humble and they were like, you know, the greatest, the nicest people around. And you're like, you're you're like, <laughs> there's no reason for you to know my name. You're you're, you're like a, a legend in this in this industry. And they would remember and. The, it's the ability to like do everything and try everything. There's no way I would have been able to get the same experience on my own because there's I just would never have produced that many comics on my own, right? In terms of getting better, Norbert, I'm kind of the same. Like I kind of look back at things and I, I am sort of, you know, I could tear everything apart a little bit. The other thing about comics is that especially with Marvel Comics or, or comics on a monthly deadline like that, there's a certain, and I, I guess actually all sort of creative things, it's like, you know, there comes a time when you just have to put it down and it has to go out and it has to, it has to be live. And that's something that whether you get the ability to work on thousands of your thing every year or you only have the one thing, like, you got to put your thing down at a certain point and just put it out and move on to the next one. Because I, th- again, like, I think the reps are more important than like one perfect song or whatever it is. Like you want to have I'd, I, th- I don't know. I think you probably learn more and get better having five okay songs or comics or whatever and instead of like one like super perfect one. You know what I mean? Did I cover it? There's so much there. This this is such a great question. I love because um, people are always asking me like, ah, how do you, <laughs> after what is even a comic book editor, the, the next question is like, how do you get into that? Or why, why do that and not be the writer? Or why aren't you drawing them? Or like whatever it is. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I look at like what what I'm good at, you know, what I'm good at is sort of taking a step back and getting a bird's eye view of an entire project and knowing how do we get it to completion. And then, and that was part of your question earlier, right? Like, 
can I look at something and know what it's missing or, or whatever? And it's like, yes, to some degree, I absolutely can take one look at your pitch or your whatever and say, like, here's what's going to, well, here's what's holding it back. Thankfully, after 10 years, 15 years in comics, I probably can introduce you or, or connect you to the person who can help you in whatever your deficit is. I can, I can bring in that key player, you know what I mean, to fill in wherever you're lacking. And again, I only would be able to do that having so many opportunities to, to practice because that's what it is. It's like practice, right? I say the same thing to artists. There's a lot of artists out there who are, who are always like, man, how do I get a foothold in the industry? Whatever, you know what I mean? It's you're only going to be able to do it. You got to have like new samples every six months, having new 10 pages of, of a, a short story, whether it's a, grabbing a script off of an established writer's website, because a lot of a lot of them do that, or, or you know, just use Google, or something that you write and draw out of your own brain, right? It's, it's just like, you just got to get the reps and get it out there and hear what people say and, and also listen. Don't, don't do this stuff and think like, well, I'm perfect. Uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. And if you find fault or what, you know, you're wrong. You know what I mean? That's, that's not what you want to do. You want to hear what people are saying and go, I didn't come up with this. It's like the note behind the note. If somebody like me is giving you notes on your portfolio or whatever it is, you know, telling you your pitch is lacking X, Y, Z is like, you know, like, okay, I disagree, but why didn't he understand what I was trying to do here? Man, I, I just kept going on that one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Good stuff. You know, you reminded no, me that's of fine. Um, that's fine. when you were talking about, you know, it's got to go out. You know, at one point it has to go out. Uh, supposedly, the Da Vinci had said, art is never finished, only abandoned. But that seems to be so true. I, I taught video and sound and, and doing the scripts and movies. And that was the thing, man. You, you had to finally put a period at the end of it, whether you felt it was done or not, because you could go on and on. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that for me is is when you're talking about this, this is a theme that we when we talk to other creators in different wildly different fields, it's important for you to work at your craft and and when you said reps, that's a word that comes up a lot in conversation with creatives. Reps, 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 reps. Gladwell, where he said ten thousand you need ten thousand hours to master. Uh, I heard that that's, he did some study of, you know, like the Beatles and stuff. And what people didn't realize about the Beatles is they played in clubs for like 10 years before they really, you know, broke out. And then if you like do a, a deep dive on a lot of people that become accomplished, they've got all the hours like, you know, and it's, and it's cool when you hear different people in different mediums say the same similar mindsets, you know, in, in, in terms of being yeah, successful. Absolutely. And Chris, we're, cool. we're keeping you a while, and I, I want to keep you a little bit longer. Uh, we're going over a little bit on time, but apologize for that if you don't mind. I wanted to talk about your podcast and then what happened. That is oh, such okay. a cool idea, and I just want our listeners to hear about that. Oh, okay, sure. Um, that's crazy. So, so this was like the pandemic time in this uncomfortable space of not being able to produce or, or, you know, put things out, particularly I was just coming out of started it when still technically still a Marvel employee. But, um, so the conceit of the podcast is called, and then what happens, no question mark or anything, but it's, it's essentially a, and I didn't find this out till later, but like there, there's a, a style of fiction where you just sort of like add on to what the person before you said, right. And that's sort of what the conceit of the podcast was. And then what happened? So we, there was a setup. We started with 
a starting point of, the, of a story. And then we at the end of the episode, we ask, and then what happens? And then anybody could write in to my website, and then what happens.com, and, and uh, you know, tell us what happens next. And, and, you know, that didn't mean, like, hey, it needs to be, like, a very perfectly a, a well-written thousand words or 2,000. Like, it didn't, I didn't need to have a book. Like, it was just, like, 500 words, whatever, whatever your writing style is, jump in build off of what the writer came before you had, bring in a new ca- character randomly, like whatever you want. And then it's a, it's sort of like it was playing on the idea of what essentially long-running comics are, right? Like that's what Amazing Spider-Man is. Amazing Spider-Man is a guy tells a story for a while and then someone comes in after him and goes, and then... <laughs> and they wow. might pick up threads from b- before and they might not. And I thought this was like a super fun... I mean, to me, it was fun. To my wife, it was fun. We worked on it together. It was very hard to get people to to write in. And when I started talking to to folks who did podcasts, because you know, I had listened to a lot of podcasts, but it's not it's not my business, right? I listened to you know when I talked to somebody in podcast, she was like, "Oh, you're gonna have a huge problem getting people to to participate with that." Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, it's funny. I'm very busy with lots of other stuff uh, at the moment. Like I just spent so much time with. All Negro Comics, and I'm working on a new project, uh, also in comics, called Werewolf Frankenstein. But I, in the back of my mind, I am always thinking about getting back to, and then what happens. And I actually have, I have like ideas of, as to like how we would tweak the ask, basically, to make it easier for people to participate, because that's what it is. It's not. It's. I didn't want people to feel impeded from participating, because storytelling, everybody can storytell, whether you're a professional, quote unquote, or you just telling somebody, telling your spouse about what happened at work today, you know what I mean, what happened What happened at the market. We're all storytellers, and I wanted to tap into that. That's why when you go to the website, it's a picture of a campfire, right? That's like the most primal storytelling, right? Just people around a flame trying to tell each other, you know, try to pass the time. And it got pretty crazy. There was like some really fun stuff in there. It was going in the sci-fi direction when, when we last worked on it. My brother-in-law was the narrator. He does local theater type stuff. So he was like, he was given different voices and stuff like that. He crushed it. But all those episodes are still, I think they're still on Spotify. Like you should, people should be able to dig them up and listen to the, you know, we, I think we did it for like a year or so before I had to focus on other things that maybe had more return them but never dead i say you know what i mean hopefully like you said it's a it is a it is an interesting idea and it is a great title so it'll i'm sure it'll see life again if when i when i have when i get tired of working on comic stuff i'll you know put my energies elsewhere that's the other thing like we didn't mention this in the how do you get better it's like you do different things like don't repeat yourself because that's that's also a lesson trying to branch out and do fiction podcasting was part of that for me too it's a fantastic idea i noticed that you still have the little where you can submit. I don't know what happens there anymore, but uh, yeah, I love that idea. I think it's fantastic and really hate this phrase, but it's really out of the box thinking, you know, this is something that, you know, you got to get people to play along. They don't play along. They can't have fun and, but neither can you. So that's the sad thing about it. I'd love to see that pick back up some at some point. Shoot me an email if you do, because I definitely want to add my own a little, little bit in there. Okay. You're on the short list, Pat. Thanks, man. We we've kept you really long. I don't know where the time goes, Chris. I love talking to you. It just it just seems like the time flies by. Definitely, you have a lot of things going on. You mentioned the uh, Frankenstein werewolf, and I go, nope, we can't talk about that. 
because we don't have time, but I definitely want to hear about that again. So we're definitely going to talk uh, later down the road. You had us at werewolf. You didn't That's even true. need to put That's in true, Frankenstein. Hey, you, you had know. us at werewolf. You know the the modern Prometheus. Gosh, you have you got to love him. You know that's the old. Why that's what made Bernie big. So Bernie writes, and so come on now. Yeah, absolutely. I want to tell everybody that's listening right now. If you want to, and I think I mentioned this, but you can go to uh, crob.info, which is c r o b dot info, and find out all about Chris. You can check out the and then what happens now, along with the information about the all Negro comics and other things that Chris is up to, because Chris is a Chris has got his hands in a lot of uh, pots. He also has a great uh, page of past credits. You can see all the stuff that he worked on with Marvel and other other comics. Chris, it's been a blast. I want to end this by saying uh, we want to thank Chris Robinson for sharing his great information about his creativity. We also want to thank you, the listener, for joining us for another interview and for sharing your love of creativity. Please do us a favor and go to Spotify and subscribe to the True Fiction Podcast. They have the best tools to give listeners extra content. We'll be back again next week with another excursion into creativity. Until then, keep your eyes and ears open for the truth in fiction. Good night. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late